This is a five train. The next stop is Wall Street. Herzlich willkommen zu Wall Street Weekly, dem Börsenpodcast aus New York. Ich bin Sophie Schimanski, schön, dass Sie mit dabei sind. Elon Musk, CEO und Gründer von Tesla, wirkt irgendwie angegriffen. Anfang Juni setzte er ein paar passiv-aggressive Tweets ab, in denen er elektrische Fahrzeuge mit Wasserstoff- bzw. Brennstoffzellentechnik idiotisch und dumm nennt. Warum das Ganze? Ein neuer Konkurrent ist im Markt. Nikola baut elektrische Fahrzeuge, die wie Teslas mit Strom aus Batterien laufen, aber eben auch mit Wasserstoff. Ich freue mich sehr auf einen ganz besonderen Gast heute, den Gründer von Nikola Trevor Milton. Nikola wird als das neue Tesla gehandelt. Seit Anfang Juni sind sie auch an der Börse und dort ist keine Aktie interessanter und umstrittener. Selbst Teslas Aktien nicht. Nikola ist jedoch spezialisierter als Tesla. Sie bauen schwere Lastwagen. Damit machen sie also vor allem dem Tesla Semi-Truck Konkurrenz. Am 29. Juni wird mit dem Badger aber auch ein Pickup enthüllt. In einer Live-Show, von der Trevor Milton sagt, es wird die großartigste Show aller Zeiten. Der Badger kann dann auch vorbestellt werden. Aber es dauert bis zur Lieferung. Bislang werden nur Prototypen gebaut. Produktionsstart für den ersten Pickup ist in 2022. Dass Nikola noch nie ein Fahrzeug verkauft hat, das stört die Aktionäre offenbar nicht. Noch nicht. Die Papiere mit dem Ticker-Symbol NKLA sind an der Nasdaq zwischenzeitlich um 100% gestiegen. Seit Ende letzter Woche fallen sie aber deutlicher. Der Druck kommt durch das Ablaufen von Optionsscheinen. Die Börsenaufsicht hat dafür aber noch keinen Termin festgelegt. JP Morgan rechnet damit, dass bis zu 30 Millionen Aktien auf den Markt fließen könnten und das würde den Preis eben drücken. Der Hype um Nikola ist also groß, Kritik und Misstrauen ebenso. Ein bisschen erinnert die Nikola-Geschichte damit durchaus an die von Tesla. Beide bauen Elektrofahrzeuge und weil der Nachname von Nikola Tesla schon vergeben war, hat Trevor Milton sein Unternehmen einfach nach dem Vornamen des Pioniers getauft. Was Nikola und Tesla sich noch teilen, ist die Hassliebe. Entweder sie werden gehasst oder gehypt, dazwischen gibt es wenig. Bei meinen Recherchen bin ich auf starke Emotionen und viel Idealismus gestoßen, wie ich sie von keinem anderen Unternehmen kenne. Und zum Schluss frage ich auch heute wieder, how are you doing, New York? Aber zunächst lassen Sie uns mal losrollen. Trevor Milton muss ein mutiger Mann sein oder ein Größenwahnsinniger. Er legt sich mit Elon Musk an, dem König der Elektroautos. Und der hält so gar nichts von Brennstoffzellen und Wasserstoff. Hier spricht er auf einer Konferenz des Fachmagazins Automotive News in 2015, in dem Jahr, in dem Trevor Milton Nikola in seinem Keller gründete. I don't want to turn this into a debate on hydrofuel cells because I just think that they're extremely silly. Um Doch danach diskutierte er Wasserstoff minutenlang. So ganz entspannt und uninteressiert schien er nicht gewesen zu sein. Trevor Milton hingegen ist tiefenentspannt. Mitten in einer Pandemie am 4. Juni ließ er sein Unternehmen an der Börse listen. Die Marktbewertung liegt inzwischen bei rund 25 Milliarden Dollar. Damit ist Nikola mehr wert als Ford. Aber Tesla liegt immer noch in weiter Ferne mit 130 Milliarden US-Dollar. Viele sind gerade wegen dieser hohen Marktbewertung eines jungen Unternehmens skeptisch. Bislang decken nur zwei Analysten die Aktie ab. 
Paul Costa von JP Morgan Chase und Jeff Osborne von Cohen. Das erste Rating für Nikola Motors gab es von Osborne. Der sagt kaufen und setzt das Preisziel auf 79 Dollar, leicht über dem aktuellen Preis von Mitte 70. Sie sehen Nikola als faszinierende Investitionsmöglichkeit, das schreibt Osborne. Paul Costa ist etwas pessimistischer und gibt der Aktie ein neutrales Rating, was so viel wie halten heißt. Das Preisziel der Aktie sieht er bis Ende 2021 aber deutlich unterhalb des aktuellen Preises. Das Geschäftsmodell könnte aufgehen, schreibt er, doch das Unternehmen birgt Risiken, solange es keinen Umsatz macht. Kein Umsatz. Aber laut eigenen Angaben hat Nikola 14.000 Vorbestellungen für Trucks im Wert von 10 Milliarden Dollar aufgenommen. Gebaut werden sollen diese Trucks in Coolidge, Arizona, rund 80 Kilometer von Phoenix entfernt. Dort entsteht das erste Werk. Ziel ist es, dort jedes Jahr 50.000 Trucks zu produzieren. Zum Vergleich, Tesla plant in 2022 jährlich 100.000 Semi-Trucks zu produzieren. In Deutschland soll der erste batteriebetriebene Nikola-Lastwagen nächstes Jahr in Ulm produziert werden von Iveco. 2023 soll der erste Brennstoffzellen-Lkw folgen. Es ist nicht die einzige deutsche Beteiligung. Bosch entwickelt das Herz der Trucks, das Brennstoffzellensystem und die Batterietechnologie. Doch Nikola muss ein weiteres Hindernis überwinden, bevor sie Konsumenten und Unternehmen überzeugen können. Die fehlende Infrastruktur. Nikola wird auch klassische Batterieelektrofahrzeuge bauen, die brauchen Strom. Die Brennstoffzellenfahrzeuge müssen mit Wasserstoff betankt werden. Von diesen Tankstellen gibt es in den USA aktuell rund 40. In Deutschland soll es bis 2021 100 Stationen geben. Nikola will und muss also auch selbst Tankstellen bauen. 700 sind bislang für die USA geplant. Und die sollen dann auch anderen Brennstoffzellenfahrzeugen zur Verfügung stehen, eine weitere Einnahmequelle von Nikola. Der Markt für Brennstoffzellenfahrzeuge ist also kein einfacher. Sie sind längst nicht so verbreitet wie Batteriebetriebene. Trotz mehr als einem halben Jahrhundert an Entwicklung. 1966 stellte GM seinen Elektrovan vor. Brennstoffzellenautos werden seitdem nur in geringen Mengen hergestellt. Sie gelten als teuer in der Herstellung und sie sind auf den Verkauf in den wenigen Ländern oder Regionen beschränkt, in denen es bereits Wasserstofftankstellen gibt. Also sammelt Nikola nun Investorengelder an der Börse ein. Das wollten sie besonders schnell tun, deswegen sind sie nicht alleine an die Börse gegangen, sondern haben mit einem bereits börsennotierten Unternehmen fusioniert. Mit dem Akquisitionszweckunternehmen, kurz Spec, Vecto IQ. Diesen Schritt gehen kleinere Unternehmen häufig, die schnell viel Geld brauchen. Die Spec ist auch selbst investiert. Außerdem haben sie sich damit Stefan Gierski geholt. Der Mann bringt Expertise aus sieben Jahren im Board von GM mit. Es scheint also zu laufen für Trevor Milton. Hier spricht er am Tag des Börsengangs auf CNBC. We needed a method to get to the market, to get publicly traded quickly. And that's really what the SPAC was there for. It was, it helped us get to market in less than six months, saved us a bunch of time. And we got to bring in a great board member like Steve Gursky into our board. Um, that was really our main goal is how do we build as many trucks as we can, das neu entstandene Börsenunternehmen wurde umbenannt und aus Nikola und Vector IQ wurde die Nikola Motor Company. 
Ein Grund, warum die Nikola-Aktie einen solchen Höhenflug hinter sich hat, könnte daran liegen, dass die für den Handel verfügbare Menge an Aktien, der Float, weit unter dem Gesamtbetrag der ausgegebenen Aktien liegt. Der Börsenprospekt zeigt, dass 23 Millionen Aktien derzeit im Umlauf sind von insgesamt 360 Millionen ausstehenden Aktien. Sprich, ein großer Teil kann aktuell gar nicht gehandelt werden. Doch es gibt auch andere Gründe, an einen Erfolg des Unternehmens zu glauben und das erklärt den positiven Börsenkurs. Einer ist paradoxerweise Konkurrent Tesla oder eher gesagt, was er die Börsianer gelehrt hat. Die Geschichte klingt ganz ähnlich. Hören wir mal in dieses 60 Minutes Stück aus 2008 hinein. Journalistin Leslie Stahl dreht eine Runde mit Musk im damals neuen Roadster. This is the first all-electric sports car, the Roadster, made by Tesla Motors, a small startup in Northern California. Anfangs haben sich die alteingesessenen Autobauer und viele Experten lustig gemacht über Elon Musk und seinen Tesla. Jetzt versuchen sie, ihm mit ihren eigenen Elektrofahrzeugen Konkurrenz zu machen. Trotzdem, Tesla blutete lange Jahre Cash und hat nach zehn Jahren an der Börse noch immer Probleme. Profitabel waren sie in keinem einzigen Jahr. Anleger glauben also eher an die Vision, an Elon Musk selbst. Selbst seine Twitter-Eskapaden und Konflikte mit der Börsenaufsicht haben sie ihm bislang verziehen. Und deswegen stecken sie allen Shortsellern zum Trotz immer wieder Geld in das Unternehmen. Auch Trevor Milton ist ein charismatischer Kerl mit großen Visionen. So jemandem geben die Anleger gerne Vorschusslorbeeren und sind sehr geduldig, vor allem wenn es um neue Technologien oder saubere Energiegewinnung geht. Am Ende beruht die horrende Marktbewertung damit auf der Erwartung, dass Nikola es schafft, genug Fahrzeuge zu produzieren und zu verkaufen. Jahr für Jahr. With me now, not in person, but on the phone, is founder and executive chairman of Nikola, Trevor Milton. Hi Trevor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You're welcome. Glad to be here with you. I mean, Germans love clean energy and clean cars, so this is going to be exciting for them and uh, for me, of course. It's really amazing because, you know, Nikola, we started out building these big electric semi-trucks, and we built a electric and hydrogen massive articulating semi-trucks that move freight on the road. And all of Europe was very, very receptive, excited. Germany was a huge part of that success. So much success that we decided to build our plant in Germany, in Ulm, Germany. So very incredible to see the fact that we're bringing truck manufacturing back to Ulm, Germany for the heavy-duty semi-trucks. And then obviously we can take all that technology and put it into the most advanced pickup truck the world's ever seen, which is the Badger. So very exciting times. Yeah, correct. I definitely want to ask you about Ulm uh, later on too. As far as I know, you have been to Germany. Is that correct? I feel like I saw something on your Instagram about being in Munich at the Oktoberfest or something. Yeah, I've been in Germany multiple times. Obviously, I've been to Ulm, where our factory is. I've been to Stuttgart multiple times. You know, I've been to multiple places throughout Europe. I go there usually once a month, maybe once every two months. Mm -hmm. And with the lockdown, obviously, I haven't been able to go. But we are gearing up our factory for production. And it's an exciting time. It's really fun to see... Europe is very, very excited about Nikola, incredibly excited. And so we're just happy that we have so many uh, German and European partners to help us become successful. Mm -hmm. So how did Ulm happen? You brought it up already. Why did you choose Ulm? It's nice, but it's small, right? It can handle eventually up to over 30,000 trucks a year. So it'll take some time to scale that. Mm -hmm. But it was designed 
to start out small, you know, a few thousand trucks a year, and then move into very large manufacturing, which would be in the tens of thousands of big semi trucks a year. So, yeah, it's it's nice because Ulm used to build semi trucks, you know, big trucks, and it, they left, and now we brought it back, and so the the entire city of Ulm is very very excited about it. So to get to your company, first of all. And I say that with the utmost respect. I think you are a brave man for many reasons, in my opinion. You went public, or you had the spec, I should say, uh, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic when many other companies actually chose to delay their IPO. But why did you go through with it? And was there any moment or any thought of maybe delaying it? No, I'm glad you asked that, actually, because most people don't think about that. You know, we went public when the rest of the world was scared. And this is the sign of a true entrepreneur and a true visionary is the ability to see the world, know what the world wants, and you don't care what, you know, people think, you know, when, when it comes to the, the critics. You went, you know, we went straight to going public right during the, the pandemic, mm -hmm. and we hit it perfectly on the head, which means the world knows now that with the coronavirus and the environmental impacts have a greater effect on health than just about anything. And they're now moving towards a cleaner future to prevent these pandemics. And Nikola is the leader of that. And that's why people love us. And that's why our valuation is where it is. And you look at all these other guys coming out now and no one's going to give them the valuation they gave us. Why? Because we're true pioneers. We're not scared. We run straight at challenge and we overcome it. And that's why people love us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have been my next question because you did raise a lot of money and I mean, the stock has been going up, it seems, uh, since uh, the spec. So your market cap is impressive. You just gave a short um, explanation why you think that is justified. But there have been, let's put it like that, there has been a lot of caution, maybe, around that high market valuation. It's like multiple times of the targeted revenue. So If you can say a little bit more on how you see the market valuation. You know, every other OEM, including in Europe, you know, all told the world that zero emission could not work. They said, oh, zero emission trucks will never work. They're too heavy. They're too slow. They cost too much money. And they kept building diesels and they kept building other vehicles. And Nikola came out and said, you know what? We're going to prove to the world that zero emission does work and then is ready for it. And the technology is there and we can make a better financial proposition for zero emission over diesel. And because of that, the investors rewarded us. These other big OEMs, yes, we're worth more than many of them. We're worth more than Ford. We're worth more than, you know, any given day depends on where we're at, but we're worth more than Ford, more than Fiat Chrysler, more than uh, many other companies. And soon we're going to be worth more than Daimler, in my opinion. You have to put that in my opinion in there because we're publicly traded. But my belief is, is that the world is rewarding us because we're changing the world. And they also know that, hey, one or two years to get to full production, we don't care. If you're going to change the world, you're going to get diesels off the road, you're going to clean the air, you're going to create clean jobs, we will reward you for it, and we're happy to do it. And that's why you see our valuation so great. It, it goes up and down, the valuation, but the followers and supporters around the world are incredible. I mean, since you already brought it up, There are so many critics and there's so much almost like suspicion and so many things being said, like it's too expensive to drive, to build, to buy. There's not enough infrastructure, which I do know that you're going to bring that too. We can talk about that later too. One of your critics seems to be Elon Musk. 
saying that hydrogen fuel cells are full cells. So maybe we can talk about the advantages of this technology and why you think it's exactly the right thing. My belief is, is that one size does not fit all. I mean, if you look, Elon just, you know, they just put someone in space, right? They just sent a rocket up to the, to the International Space Station. What you notice is they did not use batteries to send that rocket. Mm -hmm. So at one side, batteries don't fix every problem. They fix some problems, they're good, but they don't fix every problem. And what I've learned in life is, is that it's important to look at every application and see what's best for each application. So batteries make sense up to about 500 kilometers. Over 500 kilometers, fuel cell makes much more sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why. We've been able to build a fuel cell now that is much cheaper than battery to operate on long runs and heavy loads. And it's also cheaper to operate than, um, than diesel. Now, battery on, on short loads and lighter loads is much cheaper than hydrogen. So you're going to need both of these products probably for the next 50 years. And I don't think that one will ever take over the, the other because they don't really compete. They complement. They are different markets that they service. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you even see Tesla as a competitor? Because, I mean, you do things differently and there are big differences. Not only the technology, but also the idea that you're targeting a very specific market. You know, we are competing with them a little bit, but the market is so big that Tesla could grow for 10 years and we could grow for 10 years and we would mm -hmm. still never hit the same clients. Mm -hmm. I think that's the exciting thing about this is that we, the world needs this. We need all of us to succeed. I, I always tell people, it's not us against Tesla, it's us and Tesla because mm -hmm. we need everybody. I can't build enough trucks to fix the earth all on my own. I can build 35,000 a year. Tesla can build 30 or 35,000 a year. And then you're going to need everyone else to build another 30 or 40,000 a year each until you can get to about a half a million trucks a year total with the world supply, or at least USA and just Europe, we have not achieved our goal. And that is to get diesels off the road. And um, talking about Elon Musk, it seems to me, and I think that's interesting, without knowing it for certain, but the way he talks about hydrogen fuel cells or the way he tweets about it makes me think he doesn't think that they're that dumb. Otherwise, he wouldn't be wasting time saying that they are and just let someone do foolish things. I mean, you know what I mean? Why bother? It comes off as if he does see this as something promising that could be a threat to his technology, to Tesla. Yeah, I mean, I do know this. I know that, you know, the reason why he does bring it up is he's scared of it. Hydrogen is the only thing that can bring his company down. You know, you don't make any money with cars. He's been losing money for 10 years. And the only time you really make a lot of money is with, is with trucks because for every car you sell that you make money on, you got to go spend more money on infrastructure for charging that you lose money on. It's kind of a losing proposition to build cars. This is why we don't build them. So he's been looking at this. So how does he get profitable? And it's the semi-truck that he gets profitable in. And so he's kind of followed Nikola into this. You know, we build battery too, so we're very competitive on the battery side. But the thing that can bring down the battery discussion completely is a truck that is 10,000 pounds lighter or 5,000 kilograms lighter. And that's what a hydrogen semi-truck is. It's 5,000 kilograms lighter than a battery truck. And that's why it's so valuable is that we can haul more freight. We can run more hours. And that's why, you know, hydrogen has been so successful. I mean, you can, fill a, you can fill a hydrogen truck up in 15 minutes and it takes, uh, you know, two to four hours on a you know, on a battery to charge it without ruining the battery. Mm -hmm. What people don't know is you can't charge a truck as fast as you charge a small car because you can't go dump one or two megawatts of energy out of the grid for each vehicle. You bring the whole grid down to its knees. And so 
we do build battery trucks and we're going to support people that need them, but they're going to charge overnight. Mm -hmm. Maybe as a more uh, personal question, you're doing things that on this scale hasn't or haven't been done before against many odds and you mentioned them and despite many obstacles. What kind of mindset are you in or have you been in? Is it the fact that you want to change the world or do you need the adrenaline? What is it? I think you have to be completely confident in your belief in life and what's most important to you and your core belief. Because the whole world attacks you. They tell you why you're going to fail. Um, if you look at like the Twitter accounts you know, that I have, or if you think about like all these Twitter followers that follow our, you know, my account, we have Nikola Motor and Nikola Trevor. If you think about this, Half the world criticizes you and wants to tear you down. I don't know what it is. I don't know why people hate change and why they hate seeing someone be successful, but they find joy in trying to tear people down. The other half of the world truly loves you for changing the world and making this a better place. And they sympathize with you too. They actually feel for you. They say, I'm so sorry you have to go through this and I'm here for you. And so you have to love what you do or you'd never succeed because you have to look at the haters right in the eyes And say, you know what, fine, don't worry about it. Just watch it happen and you're going to, you know, you'll change your mind or you'll just stay miserable. It really doesn't matter. But we're changing the world. You can either watch it, join it, deny it, or hate it. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to change the world. And it's not just changing the world. It's the fact you got to truly love it and believe it. Because the criticism is so strong that you have to thrive in proving people wrong. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. So, um Thank you so much for taking the time again. Well, thank you so much, and we appreciate it. And you know what? I couldn't be happier the fact that we got to build our factory in Ulm, Germany. What an incredible event. Europe is going to be benefited by this, and I'm just really happy. So thanks for calling, and any time, I'm happy to get on the phone. New York is teilweise wieder offen, und die New Yorker kennen kein Halten. Vor den Restaurants lange Schlangen, um einen der wenigen Plätze draußen abzubekommen. Reservierungen nimmt niemand an. First come, first serve. New York City ist damit auf dem besten Weg, am 6. Juli in die dritte Phase zu starten. Restaurants dürfen mehr Sitzplätze anbieten und Friseure und Nagelstudios zum Beispiel dürfen öffnen. Parallel aber steigen in mehreren US-Bundesstaaten die neue Infektionen an. Wer aus diesen Bundesstaaten nach New York anreist, muss in Quarantäne. Wer dabei erwischt wird, dass er das nicht tut, muss 1000 Dollar Strafe zahlen. In der jüngsten Pressekonferenz holte Andrew Cuomo, Governor des Staates New York, noch einmal gegen Trump aus. Er als Präsident hätte vor allem die New Yorker eher vor dem Virus warnen müssen. We had some of the highest infection rates because we had people coming from Europe who brought the virus. They trace our virus in this region back to Europe. And we had a federal government that told us the virus was in China, it's in China, it's in China. It wasn't in China. It had left China and went to Europe, and then it came here from Europe. January, February, March, three million Europeans came into our region of the country, and they brought the virus. Aber dieser Tage geht es vor allem um die Zukunft und wie die Stadt Neuinfektionen vermeiden kann. Das war's von mir für diese Ausgabe. Wenn Sie Anregungen, Wünsche oder Feedback haben, schreiben Sie mir einfach eine E-Mail an wallstreetweekly.mediapioneer.com. Würden Sie zum Beispiel ein Brennstoffzellenauto fahren? Es gibt ja genug Modelle, außer denen von Nikola. 
Wir hören uns nächsten Montag wieder. Bitte bleiben Sie gesund. Von ganzem Herzen aus New York, Ihre Sophie Schimanski.